So I, I rode my bicycle for a year in 2010 uh, from uh, Canada to Colombia, and as part of that journey, I discovered that basically a billion people in the world didn't have uh, access to clean drinking water. So I began this journey and did some higher level education and been on a series of trips with my friends in the last six years. That's all led us to this, to this spot now where we've become very interested in a small scale uh, decentralized desalinization projects. It's really the future of water. and welcome to today's Beach Talk. I want to help you understand every word of God in the Word of God. Now God has so many amazing things that He wants to teach us every day and say to us, so I thank you for taking the time to be with us today. My hope and prayer is that God speaks to you through this message. So our objective is simple, it's disciples making disciples who plant churches that plant churches. We always want to multiply our efforts when it comes to our spiritual life. So today, Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now Matthew introduces us to one of the most fascinating characters of the New Testament. This was John, born to Zacharias and Elizabeth, whose miraculous birth to this two-old couple was announced along with his call to be the forerunner of Jesus in Luke chapter 1. Now, John's message was a call to repentance. Now, some people think that repentance is mostly about feelings, especially feeling sorry for the things we've done wrong. It's wonderful to feel sorry about the things we do wrong, but repenting isn't a feelings word, it's an action word. Now, John told his listeners to make a change of mind, not merely to feel sorry for what they have done. Repentance speaks of a change of direction, not a sorrow in the heart. Is, is repentance something we must do before we can come to God? Well, yes and no. Repentance does not describe something we must do before we come to God. It describes what coming to God is like. Now, if you're in New York and I tell you to come to Los Angeles, I don't really need you to say, leave New York and come to Los Angeles. To come to Los Angeles is to leave New York. And if I haven't left New York, I certainly haven't come to Los Angeles. Now, we can't come to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, unless we leave our sin and our selfish life. So the call to repentance is important and must not be neglected. It's entirely accurate to say that it's the first word of the gospel. Repent was the first word of John the Baptist's gospel. Repent was the first word of Jesus's gospel. Repent was the first word in the preaching of the 12 disciples. Repent was the first word in the preaching instructions Jesus gave to his disciples after his resurrection. Repent was the first word of exhortation in the first Christian sermon. Repent was the first word in the mouth of the Apostle Paul through his ministry. So we find this thing, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John wanted people to know that the kingdom of heaven was near, as close as your hand. It wasn't as distant or as dreamy as they had imagined. This is why John was so urgent in his call to repentance. Now, if the kingdom of heaven is at hand, then we must get ready right now. John's main message wasn't, you're a sinner, you need to repent. John's main message was, Jesus the King is coming. 
Now, the call to repentance was the response to the news that the king and his kingdom were coming indeed already here in one sense. So in verses 3 and 4, it says, For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So John by himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Really interesting guy. Matthew used this passage from Isaiah 40 to identify John the Baptist as the one who was told about as kind of a forerunner to Jesus. The one whose purpose was to prepare our hearts for, for Jesus's message so that we could receive everything that he had for us. Now when it says that we were to make his path straight, Adam Clark explains this idea saying that it was taken from the practice of Eastern monarchs whenever they entered upon an expedition or took a journey through a desert country, they sent people before them to prepare things for their passage and pioneers to open passes to level ways and to remove any obstacles. This is what John's ministry was, getting everybody ready to hear Jesus. <laughs> Building road is very much like the preparation God must do in our hearts. They're, they're expensive, they both must deal with many different problems and environments, and they both take an expert engineer. So Jesus was the coming Messiah and King. He was the one crying out in the wilderness, and through his message of repentance, he worked to prepare the way of the Lord. Now we often fail to appreciate how important the preparing work of God is. Any great work of God begins with preparation. So it says when he was clothed with camel's hair and he had a leather belt in his personality and ministry, John the Baptist was patterned after Elijah in the Old Testament and kings who fearlessly called people to repent and follow God. D.A. Carson says that both Elijah and John had stern ministries in which they clearly proclaimed boldly for people to turn around. Now, it wasn't that John the Baptist was trying to be like Elijah or trying to be a forerunner, as it talked about in Malachi, as if he decided on his own to make this his destiny or his public image. John knew the words spoken to his father Zacharias before he was born. He said, he will also go before me with the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This is simply who John the Baptist was. The one might say that this was before he was created in the womb, that this was God's destiny for him. Now, Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite speakers said, Lord, let not my meat, my drink, or my garments hinder me from your work. Verses five and six says that Jerusalem and Judea and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized and by him in the Jordan confessing their sins. So John's ministry met with wonderful response. There were many people who recognized their sinfulness and their need to follow Jesus and were willing to do something about it, not just listen to it. So under the blessing of God, John's message was received by the people because God had moved in their hearts ahead of time. His preaching created a widespread kind of movement and his followers constituted a significant and sincere group. Now, a Jewish historian actually wrote more about John the Baptist than he did about Jesus. The influence of John the Baptist is evident even decades after his ministry, as we find out later on in Acts 18 and 19. So with baptism, John offered a ceremonial washing that 
confessed sin and did something to demonstrate that they had changed their lives. So before we can gain the kingdom of heaven, we must recognize our poverty of spirit. It comes with humility. So the foundation of most movements and awakenings is a deep humility. Now, baptism simply means to immerse or overwhelm uh, or to be immersed like in the ocean behind me. And the Jewish people did this. John completely immersed uh, those that he baptized. Now, baptism was practiced in the Jewish community in the form of a ceremonial immersion, but typically it was only among Gentiles who wished to become Jew for a Jew in John's day had to submit to baptism, was essentially to say, I confess that I am as far away from God as a Gentile and I need to turn my life uh, around. <clears throat> this was a real work of the Holy Spirit, not a fake one. So John's baptism might have been related to the Jewish practice of baptizing Gentile converts or to some of the ceremonial washings practiced by the Jews of that day, though it may have had some links. At the same time, it was unique, so unique that John simply became known as the baptizer because he baptized so many people. If there were a lot of people doing that, it wouldn't have been a unique title or something trendy. So Christian baptism is a lot like John's in the sense that it demonstrates repentance or a turning around, but it's also more being baptized into Christ, that is, into his death and his resurrection, talks about in Romans 6. So confessing their sins, this was another important aspect, and this is a partner to the call to repentance. Now, Jewish people were really serious about getting right with God. So the participle means while confessing, not provided that they confessed, the confession of sins by individuals was a new thing in Israel. There was a collective confession on the great day of atonement and individual confession in certain specified cases, but not any great unburdening of their hearts. So in verses 7 through 12, it says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not say to ourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones, like the rocks that I'm on. And even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing hand is in his hand. He will thoroughly clean out the threshing floor. He'll gather the wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. What does all this mean? Well, this is our introduction to these two important groups that we're gonna learn about, the Pharisees and the Sadducees in first century Judaism. These two, two groups were very different, but always in conflict with another. They represented the leaders of Judaism. Now, the Pharisees believed that one was made righteous by keeping the law, that they believed themselves to be righteous in this way. They often misinterpreted the law. They held many traditions to be equal authority to Scripture. They were often hypocrites in their practice, neglecting the core and spirit of the law for aspects that looked good outwardly. So John accused these leaders of wanting to appear anxious for the Messiah or to look good, but not really repenting and preparing their hearts. Therefore, John demanded fruits worthy of repentance. John reminded them that real repentance will show itself in a person's life. 
has to be a matter of living repentance, not just talking about it with empty words. Now, true repentance is not a barren thing. You must bring forth the fruits of it, fruits that answer the true nature of what it is we're talking about. Of course, most of the Jewish people believed in the wrath to come. The difference was the targets of that judgment. They conceived of the judgment as concerning people who were far from God. They thought of it as concerning the godless people around them. Now, we can learn a lot from John the Baptist preaching. He says that we're to flee the wrath to come. The wrath is the wrath of God. This wrath is fair and well and deserved. This wrath is often ignored or disregarded because it's not immediate. It has to come. This wrath is not any less certain just because it's delayed and is to come. The wrath is terrible when it comes because it's God's wrath. This wrath cannot be stood against. The only way to survive it is to successfully flee from it. So what John told them to do is also instructive. He says to flee. Now fleeing implies action. It implies swift action. It implies a straightforward movement with zero diversions. So we're not to think to ourselves, we have Abraham as our father. John warns them to stop trusting in their Jewish heritage because they must truly repent, not simply trust in their traditions or their family line. It was widely taught in that day that Abraham's merits were plenty for any Jew's salvations and that a Jewish person wouldn't go to hell. John points out that Pharisees and Sadducees are of a different family. They're a brood of vipers, meaning family associated with servants. This was clearly an insult. Charles Spurgeon said, no mere pruning and trimming work did John come to. He was the handler of a sharp ax that was fell to every worthless tree. <laughs> so John's baptism was one of repentance. In this regard, it was not identical to Christian baptism or baptism into Christ, which includes a demonstration of repentance and cleansing, but also recognizes our identification with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Now, John recognizes his own place before Jesus. He's one worthy not to carry the sandals of Jesus. He didn't consider himself far above those that he was called to give this message to. He understood him on a horizontal level, not a vertical level. And he and the, the crowds, uh, he carried this message to these crowds and it was received by them. Now, John put himself lower in relation to Jesus than of a normal disciple of a normal rabbi. So John warns them to prepare of the Messiah's coming because he's coming with judgment. So he says, I want to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. This is the promised outpouring of the Spirit promised in the new covenant. Now, and fire. To baptize with fire means to bring the fires of judgment, which will purify the pure, but destroy the wicked like chaff. Chaff is a worthless residue of a wheat stalk after the kernel of grain has been removed. These proud and unrepentant leaders were just useless to God. Purification by fire was also a prophetic hope that was talked about in Zechariah. So John predicts a real cleansing in contrast with his own merely outward token acts. So the leaders thought that the Messiah would come with judgment, but only against Israel's enemies. They were blind to their own self-righteousness and confidence. They thought they were right with God. They weren't. Now, John's message is sadly needed today because much of what following Jesus is not. It's celebrity-driven stuff where we're the hero, not Jesus. Verses 13 and 14 says that John at the Jordan 
came to be baptized and John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you. Are you coming to me? Well, this is a significant emergence of Jesus from many years of obscurity. Uh, the first works of his public ministry carry great meaning in understanding the rest of his ministry. So no one compelled Jesus to be baptized. He came to John of his own choice. He said, I need to be baptized by you and you are coming to me. John recognized the inherent irony in the situation. Jesus had nothing to repent of and it would be more appropriate for Jesus to baptize John. Well, it was as if Jesus, if John was said to Jesus, I need your spirit and fire baptism, not you, my water baptism. So in verse 15, Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now for it's fitting for me to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. So Jesus understood why this seems strange to John, but it was nevertheless necessary to fulfill all righteousness. It wasn't that this was an act in itself that fulfilled all righteousness, but it was another important step in the overall mission of Jesus to identify with fallen and sinful people, a mission that would finally be fulfilled at the cross at the end of the gospel. The purpose was for Jesus to completely identify himself with us. This is exactly what he did in his birth, his upbringing, and his death, and in being baptized by John. We should all be baptized. Verses 16 and 17 says, When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. It was important for God the Father to publicly demonstrate that Jesus' baptism was not like anyone else's in the sense of being a display of repentance. It was not a display of repentance, but instead it was a righteous identification with sinners motivated by love was well-pleasing to the Father. This was a dramatic experience with the Holy Spirit with the Spirit of God coming upon Jesus in a way that could actually be seen somewhat similar to the coming of the Spirit of God upon the gathered disciples in Acts chapter 2. Luke 3 says, says it like this, And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. In some way the Spirit and flew down upon Jesus like a dove. Whatever it was, it was real. Now, this was not a temporary gift of the Spirit of God. John the Baptist's testimony in John 1, when he said that he saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and he remained upon him, Jesus was about to begin his public ministry and he would do it in the power of the Spirit of God. Charles Spurgeon again said, it was the Spirit of God who gave success to Jesus Christ's ministry. How a dove represents the work of the Holy Spirit. Like a dove, the work of the Holy Spirit can be swift. Like a dove, the work of the Holy Spirit can be soft and gentle. Like a dove, the work of the Holy Spirit brings peace to us, into our hearts. Like a dove, the work of the Holy Spirit is harmless. Like a dove, the work of the Holy Spirit speaks love. When this voice of God the Father spoke from heaven, everyone knew 
that Jesus was not just another man being baptized. They knew Jesus was the perfect Son of God, identifying with sinful man. By this, everyone knew that Jesus was different. Jesus was baptized so to be identified with us, but he was also baptized to be identified with sinners. Luke 3 tells us that the heavens were open while Jesus prayed. Prayer is the key of heaven. Now this wraps up our time looking at Matthew chapter 3 today. Maybe you've never prayed before. Prayer is the key. It's just talking to God. Maybe you need to repent like we talked about today. Maybe you need to quit doing some things in your life. Some of the things you've been doing for a long time. We can always ask for God's help when we need to repent or turn around in our life. Let's pray together. I just like you to say, God, help me to change my ways, to repent, to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you'll join us for tomorrow's Beach Talk in Matthew chapter 4. And as always, I hope you have a great day. Thank you for your time. We would love to partner with you. Uh, water is a global problem. It's going to take as many partners as we can to help solve this problem. We'd love for you to partner with us. You can go to our website at www.oceanwater.com. That's O-C-N-W-T-R.com. We'd love that. Thanks so much.